Well, good morning. My name is Calvin. I'm the high school director here. Uh, I have a few confessions to make as I begin. The first is this Friday night to Saturday morning, the high school group had an all-nighter, so I am still recovering from uh, lack of sleep. Uh, don't feel sorry for me. I chose to do this. I knew this was coming. Uh, in fact, I'm actually doing a personal study to see the effects of sleep deprivation on one's ability to talk good to people. So, uh, so far, results are pending. I'll let you know how it goes, or maybe you'll let me know how it goes. Um, this could be one of the first times a preacher actually preaches himself to sleep, so hopefully it won't happen. But uh, my second confession is that I love God's Word. Uh, I'm so excited that we're doing this series, 40 Days in the Word, talking about Scripture, talking about reading God's Word. When I was a junior in high school, I was open to just the beauty of Scripture, some of the truths that are within that. But my other confession is that I don't always like reading it. Because I come to Scripture with such excitement and hope to see something or hear something, and I hear nothing. And it's lifeless sometimes, and it's boring, and I'm, I'm disappointed when I read Scripture sometimes. What I've learned about disappointment is that disappointment usually stems from either unmet or misplaced expectations. I, I first learned this when I went to see Transformers the first time it came out. Um, Transformers, I know you wouldn't expect that, right? Transformers is like the pinnacle of movie creation, right? Robots fighting each other. Doesn't get better than that. So I go to this movie, and it's everything I would dreamed it would be. Things blew up, buildings crashed, robots fought each other. Wonderful. I walk out, and my friend kind of looks a little sad. And I'm like, what's wrong with you? Why are you sad? He goes, I just, I wish there had been more character development and some emotional connection. It's like, (laughs) did we see the same movie? Because... I was expecting robots to fight. Like, you don't go to Transformers expecting to emotionally connect. You can't connect to a robot. It doesn't have feelings. Like, going to see Transformers and expecting emotional development is like going to a chick flick and expecting it to be good. (laughs) That's the rowdiest you guys will all get this morning. Side note, Kenzie said that if I make that joke, I have to watch a chick flick every time I say it. So I've made that joke three times now. That's three chick flicks. That's how worth it that joke was. <laughs> I'll see all three of those movies and they'll all be bad. Um, my, my friend didn't like Transformers because I think he was expecting the wrong thing. And the times that I've been disappointed with Scripture, uh, I think maybe it's because I've had wrong expectations. So what are some of the things we expect the Bible to be? Well, I think sometimes we expect the Bible to be an encyclopedia. So we come to the Bible with questions and we want answers. And say, okay, God, I want to hear what you have to say about this topic. I'm in debt. What do you have to say? And so we go to Scripture and we open it up. We're like, there it is. Okay, that's the point I need to hear. That's what my question I had. The answer is found in Scripture. I'm good to go. Other times we come looking for answers and the Bible seems to say nothing about what we're questioning. It's silent. And, And hoping for answers, we walk away disappointed. Other times, I think we come to Scripture expecting it to be a map, that it's going to to tell us exactly how we should live our lives, exactly what our life will be like. And so we come to Scripture and we read things like, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans for a future. We say, yes, God has a plan for me. 
We open up scripture and we see, yes, okay, I see what God kind of wants me to do. But other times we, we open the Bible, we read it, and, and we still feel lost. And people tell us that we'll get answers and we'll get guidance, and we don't always know what the answer is or what the guidance is. So I think we're disappointed. A lot of times I think we come to the Bible like a drive-thru. We pull up and we just want something good, right? We just, we want to hear or feel something. So we open it up and we hear like, he who began a good work and you will carry it on to completion. And we're like, mmm, mmm, that is delicious. I love the way that sounds. Or, or nothing can separate us from the love we have in Christ Jesus. Mmm, mmm, that is wonderful. Then we read things like, love your enemies. Or, Pick up your cross and follow me. Or we're heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him. Or go, sell all your possessions and give them to the poor. Like, this is kind of cold. I don't like that anymore. (laughs) So we want to feel something good. And sometimes we walk away disappointed because Scripture doesn't make us feel good. It makes us uncomfortable. I don't think I'm the only one who's experienced disappointment when it comes to Scripture. I think we've all felt that at one time or another, hoping to hear a word from God, and we hear nothing. What does God want us to see? Well, I have good news for you this morning. So open up your Bible if you have one. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7. If you don't have a Bible, it's in your notes outline. It'll be on the screen behind me. I have good news because I think Scripture speaks to us and begins to show us what God wants us to see when we read Scripture. Helps us know what to expect when we come to this book, what we should find and what we will see. 2 Corinthians is a letter written by Paul. Paul, one of the biggest guys in the early church, wrote a whole bunch of letters to a whole bunch of churches on a variety of stuff. So as we look at Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, let's see maybe how he can teach us what God wants us to see when we come to his word. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 7. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? Let me explain a little bit what Paul's talking about here. Paul is referring back to an Old Testament story. This is when Moses went up on Mount Sinai and he received the Ten Commandments. He received the law from God. And while he was on the mountain, he said, God, I want to see you. I want to see your glory. And God said, no one can completely behold my glory, but if you hide in this rock, I'm going to pass by. And so Moses hid in this rock and God passed by him. And Moses saw part of God's glory. As he came down from the mountain, his face was beaming with light. This is like an early version of Cyclops. Just like, like just light shooting off his face. And the Israelites were like, whoa, 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 buddy. Way too crazy. You got to put a veil over that or something because we cannot look at you. And so whenever Moses walked around the Israelite camp, he would wear a veil over his face. And then he would take the veil off when he went into the tent of meeting and met with the Lord. I think it's interesting that Paul, referring to this story of light beaming from Moses' face face as a ministry of death carved in letters of stone. So 
What Paul's beginning to do is he's contrasting this old story with what God has done in his spirit. Let's keep reading because Paul draws this out a little bit more. Verse 9, For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Paul is basically saying that what happened with Moses, that he met with God and light shone from his face, has no glory at all compared to the life that we now have in the spirit. That's a really big claim. Because a lot of the times I think you might feel the same with me that we read scripture, we read the Old Testament. We're like, man, if only I could have just been back then. If only I could have just seen God part the Red Seas to walk across that dry land. If, if only I could have seen the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire guiding us wherever we went. If only I could have seen Moses strike the rock with his staff and to see water gush out of it or to see manna fall from the sky and cover the ground like a blanket. If only I had been back there, then I think my faith would be so much stronger. There's two problems with this. First is that the people who lived through these things didn't have amazing faith. That they saw God part the Red Sea, and the next day when they were hungry, they said, we want to go back to Egypt. Take us back to slavery. I know, God, like you're in a pillar of fire, but they got onions and we're really hungry. So can we go back there? Cause that sounds really good. Some lentil soup would be awesome. Like the people who saw these amazing things, their hearts were still hardened. They didn't get it. I've seen people even nowadays who experience something that can only be described as a miracle. And a month later, nothing has changed in their life. Absolutely nothing. So the idea that if we just see things, our faith will be better is misguided. And two, it completely denies what God has done in Christ in our lives right now by the Spirit. That, that Paul says that what Moses experienced doesn't even compare to the glory that we are now living in by the fact that God's Spirit is in our midst like in Old Testament times, the spirit would show up here or there, or he would dwell in the tent of meeting or the temple. But because of what Christ has done, God's spirit now lives in you and I. God's spirit is here right now. If Moses were here, he'd be envious of us. Because the glory that we are now living in by God's spirit far surpasses anything that happened in the Old Testament. But we're so blind to it, we forget it. So we need to be reminded that God is doing something incredible in our midst just by the fact that he's present. And his presence does amazing things. Let's keep reading. Verse 12, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, 
the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. The problem wasn't with Moses. The problem wasn't that Moses had light shooting from his face. It was glowing so brightly. The problem was that people's hearts couldn't handle it. Their hearts were too hardened to what God was doing in their midst. And they said, put it away, but we can't handle that. And so what Paul is saying right here is he's drawn an argument saying, back then they couldn't handle what God was doing in their midst. They couldn't see. Their hearts were hardened. And hearts continue to be hardened so that even today, apart from God, when people read the Old Testament, and we'll throw the New Testament in there too, when people read Scripture and read about what God has done, there's a veil that's over their hearts, that our hearts are hardened to what God has done and what he's doing right now. But, this is a beautiful, awesome but, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So, all of our hearts are hardened. We have a veil that lies over our hearts that prevents us from seeing what God wants us to see. But when we turn to Jesus and, and give ourselves to him and say, okay, you got to take control of this life because I'm messing it up. That veil is removed. And we can see what God wants us to see. That we can begin to see his spirit at work in scripture. We can see what he's doing and we have eyes to see that God didn't just move back then, but he's moving now and he speaks through this. He speaks to you and I. The spirit is in our midst. God is doing something. We have eyes to see. So what does God want us to see? When did Moses remove his veil? He removed it when he went in to talk with God. When he was in the presence of God, he removed the veil and spoke to him as one speaks to a friend face to face. God removes the veil from our hearts so that we can see him, see his face. And his face is best seen in the person of Jesus. Hebrews 1.3 says that he, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. So in Jesus, we have the most perfect representation of God. That when we see Jesus, when we meet him, we're meeting God. All of history is headed towards God's people seeing his face. Revelation 22, 3 through 4. This is the end of time as God's people are brought up into heaven. It says, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. Verse 4. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. When we pass from this life into the next, we are going to look God in the eyes, to see the wrinkles as he smiles at us, and we will be with him forever. 
This is where all of history is headed. So what does God want us to see? He wants us to see himself. So I think a really good way to think about scripture is that it's a window. This is a window that Kenzie and I have up on our wall, hence the writing. But when you put windows in your walls, you don't put a window in your house because you really love glass or you like window panes. You put a window in your house to see what is beyond, so you can see what is outside. So scripture is a window by which we can see the face of God, that we can see Jesus. So we read scripture not to examine the particulars of the window, but to see behind it to the one who speaks. The Bible is a means to relationship, not information. And so we read the Bible not just to get spiritual insights or spiritual truths, but to have an encounter with God. We read the Bible not just to know the plan for our lives, but to know the one who is the author of all time and history. We read the Bible not just to feel good, but to know the one who is good. Who, who the word good doesn't even do justice to how good he is. You see, it's good that we experience disappointment when we read the Bible as encyclopedia, map, or drive through Because when we read like that, it's all about us. Just getting what we need out of it. Answering our questions, our need for guidance. And we don't really need God for that. But when we read scripture as a window, it's all about God. To know him, to be in relationship with him, to hear his voice to live in communion with him. One day, when we pass from this life into the next, we're going to throw our Bibles away. You're not going to need a Bible in heaven because you're going to be with God. I mean, how ridiculous would it be if I'm in heaven, I'd be like, hold on, God, one sec. Well, that was awesome when you said that. I like that part. Yeah, that's cool. Wait, no, no, hold on, I'm reading. Stop it. That's, that's great. Awesome. You said that. That's pretty good. I like that. Like, that's ridiculous. When we get to heaven, we're throwing these things away. Because we're going to be with God. Now, because end of time we're throwing these things away, doesn't mean we throw them away now. In fact, what the Bible does is it prepares us. It aligns our hearts to, to know him and to better prepare ourselves for heaven. Think of it this way. Let's say I have a friend. I have lots of friends, but this friend, uh, he loves classical music. And so he and I are going to go see a symphony together. And, and he has lived and breathed classical music. He, he knows all the composers, knows the history behind them, their, their lives and how their lives influence the work of art. He knows all the instruments, how they sound, the different complexities of the melody. This guy knows classical music. I really like Taylor Swift. And so we go to this symphony and we're listening and we have the best seats in the house. I mean, acoustically, we're going to be hearing the greatest sound of all time. It's going to hit our ears perfectly. We will both hear the same thing. But our experiences will be far different. Because the preparation that he has done in listening to music, to studying and knowing musical theory and knowing all of this is going to give him a deeper appreciation of what's going on in that symphony he will have a far richer experience than I will. He will bask in the glory of that symphony. And I'll be like, when's Taylor Swift coming out? I want to hear we're never getting back together. <laughs> so it is with scripture. That when we read scripture 
we begin to hear the melodies of heaven. Our ears become attuned to the different instruments, the notes. We begin to know what heaven is going to be like. We get to know God more. We know his character, what he's like. And the more that we know him, the more that we will be attuned to what will happen in that last days. And so we will all experience the same thing in one sense. But in another sense, those who have lived and breathed Scripture, who have spent time in the Word, not just to know this, but to know Him, will have a far richer experience. That spending time in Scripture now prepares our hearts for a deeper and richer experience of heaven. But one caveat. Just because we read Scripture to see God doesn't mean we won't be disappointed. Just by the nature of a relationship, we will experience disappointment because we will expect God to do one thing and he'll do something completely different. But when we're in relationship with God, we have a place to work that out. That if we're just reading for information and we don't get what we want, we're gone. But if we have a relationship with him and we can talk it out and say, God, I don't know what you're doing. I thought you were going to do this. You didn't do it. What are you doing? And so with that disappointment, we come to God rather than run away to some other source. So when we read scripture, we'll always experience disappointment in some way. But the more we know God, the more we have a place to work that out. In closing, I I want you to imagine with me what would happen if we became people who didn't just know the word, but knew the one who stood behind it. That each day we woke up and said, okay, God, I'm going to find you. I'm going to hear you speak. And, and one morning we kind of play hide and seek. We go, oh, there you are. Oh, I, I hear you now. Other days we come to it and we hear nothing. We say, okay, God, I'm going to come back because I want to hear you. I want to hear you speak. We begin to live and breathe and move in this. And we hear him moving. We begin to have eyes to see that he's doing something around us. And imagine if someone came to you and said, who is this God that you worship, that you talk about? You, you want to know my God? Just yesterday. I was talking with him. Just yesterday, I heard him speak. A week ago, he taught me this. I mean, imagine if we didn't have to rely on our conversion moment to talk about God, but we could have a new story every week of something God was doing in our life, of some way we were hearing him speak. We never had a story more than a week old because we just kept coming back to Scripture to know him, to hear him, to see the one who stands behind this and speaks. What does God want us to see? He wants us to see himself. He wants us to see Jesus. So my hope and my prayer for us is that we would not just be people who know scripture, but we would know the one God who stands above, behind, and through scripture. Be people who reflect the glory of God, that we with unveiled face behold God's glory and are transformed from one image to another. What does God want us to see? He wants us to see himself. He wants to see Jesus. Let's pray. God of infinite mercy, abounding in steadfast love, you are the great author of time, of history, 
of our lives and of Scripture. Just as you revealed yourself to Moses in a burning bush, would you show us yourself through your word? May it come alive, ablaze with fire. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, senses that are acutely attuned to not just a knowledge of you, but to a deeper relationship with you. May you transform us to be people not just of your word, but people who reflect your glory to everyone around us in our actions, our words, our lifestyles, our values, the very way we move and live and breathe. We ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. Amen.